Welcome back to another episode of the Exturbidons Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. Whichever you celebrate, we uh, uh, wish you a happy and joyous time and spend some time with family. Uh, looking at the <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, tournament schedule, looks like that was the case as there were very few tournaments this weekend. But uh, as we said, we're all things competitive on this podcast, and there was a ton of news uh, to get into, some of that very um, open and uh, often discussed. But this one, we're going to start with one article, I think that slid under the radar, and I th- I just want to have this discussion with you, Robert, because I see this as a a major first step to a major change. And maybe I'm overthinking this. I've just seen this in other areas. So with no further ado, this comes to us from this past Monday. So literally the day after we recorded our previous episode from Goonhammer. And uh, I'm just going to read it verbatim here. Today, we are excited to announce that we are partnering with Tables and Towers and the Fabricator Forge to launch the Unified Tournament Circuit, a collection of events across eastern Canada and northeastern United States, supporting Warhammer 40,000 and Age of Sigmar. This regional circuit gives players the opportunity to compete for exciting prizes and glory with while giving tournament organizers additional support for their events. So... We've talked about regional powers quite a bit on this show, and that seems to be where the there's a lot of strong push uh, for getting a... It kind of dictates what, what goes. It's been like that since, probably since 4th edition. The idea that back in when things were much more fractured, uh, if you went to the East Coast, for example, you played Nova missions because that was the biggest super major. If you lived in the Midwest, whatever Adepticon missions were, that's what you played. And here in the West Coast, uh, we always followed ITC rules because we're probably going to go to BAO or LVO, so we want to be ready. And uh, it wasn't only until 8th edition that we were unified under one set of missions. Uh, even the Europeans, which we do quite a few uh, listeners from Europe, you guys had your own missions. A lot of times you guys followed uh, either, um, I just blanked on the acronym, but the, the World Circuit, or they had that bizarro, and, and I I still don't understand why you guys did it this way. Is the uh, primary was book mission, secondary was a modified maelstrom. I was like, what is that? But um, they were all different missions, and it was well I said only recently that we're all unified. It seems like we're fracturing again. Um, all right, I've got my preamble, Robert. What are your thoughts on this? Well, from the initial read through of this, it sounds like it's more like something of like how we are trying to have our Rattler Cup for us here in the Southwest and then <clears throat> the Lord Marshall series for the Midwest and stuff like that. It's that kind of thing where it's a, the region that you live in is what you're playing out of mainly. So why not only try to play against them instead of having to play against everyone in the ITC? Cause I actually watched a, a video that was not entirely related to, to this, but it was about, this one guy who he took six entries to the golden demon competition at adepticon he came back with zero trophies oh and he went into depth golden demon is a tighter uh tighter pool than anything that competitive 40k does because it's best of three it's first second third place that's it no runner-ups no honorable mentions no nothing okay you're, you're a finalist here's your pin you didn't we don't know we're not going to tell you if you won anything. Oh, you didn't win anything? Well, I can't tell you what you screwed up on. Um, so, and he went into depth of trying to paint a miniature to win out against however many people entered the Golden Demon competition is just crazy sometimes. But if it's something that you want to go do, go and do it. So a regional event where it's, oh, this is mainly in Canada and in Northeast United States. So again, like New York and Maine and that kind of part of the coastline if you play out of there you only have to worry about playing out of that populace as stacked as it may be with the the remnants of beast coast floating around but yeah because it factors in both 40k and sigmar sometimes people hop games to try and pump up their score to to um, climb the itc rankings because itc is just a generic score it's not specifically for 40k as far as i know it is a generic score. They do have the ITC does have um, 
Age of Sigmar as well. I have to double check if they're still doing Kill Team. They were for a while. Um, one of the bizarre um, decisions they made. I also, I'm sorry, I'm coloring the, the decision that they had made, which I may, may or may not agree as a, a player, is uh, the regional scoring. And they probably say, oh, they have regions in the ITC. It's by event. So let's say, let's say for example, Robert and I decide we're going to do an East Coast road trip. So we go to the Atlantic City Open, we go to Nova, we go to Battle for Salvation. It may be one of the two or three events in this super region. We get our five events. Well, we could be ranked in the top 25 on the East Coast, even though we live in Phoenix, because it's based on where you earned your events points. So it's a little odd in that regard. But so, But I also see what they're doing here is unifying their structure with this area, so we're going to be running events of this quality and of this support level, which is interesting because they say several times we're here also to support tournament organizers by joining our league. It doesn't specify exactly what that means, but um, I'm going to come across as pretty bitter at this moment. But I've been doing the ITCTO jobs since uh, day one when the ITC first came out. And um, other than being, oh, a player from out of town may go, I need ITC points, and there's an event down the street or within an hour's drive, I'll go. But never once did I ever get like a, here you go, here's a free mat or a free, or, you know, here's some help on how to run your tournament, or is there anything we can do to help you? None of that ever happened. So I'm curious, what is the support they're getting? And there's a lot of talk about uniformity, and they're even doing their own scoring metric. So now I'm getting like, what, what what's going on here? The scoring metric is different because at that point, a regional circuit, they just pull the points and go, da-da, it's reciprocal. But if they're doing their own scoring, then at that point, it's definitely going to be a very different take because you have the ITC, which is supposed to be independent, not international. <laughs> well, it started off as inter-independent, inter and then when they got linked up with Games Workshop, they became international. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things of the eye can be whatever whatever you want it to be yeah, at this point. The eye um, in ITC is about as meaningful as the eye in IHOP. So come on. <laughs> the but you have the WCW of Games Workshop themselves because okay, that season started at some point and it's going to finish in November. We're already halfway there. The then we have this one coming out. It's it seems like it's for people that oh, I don't want to go and play in Games Workshop events because they only do like five or six a year. And I don't want to, I don't have the time or money to fly out to larger events on the West. This seems like a, a concession for them. But yeah, it's going to split up the community again because it's like, oh, I'm the number one player in the, okay. But you're 400 and something in, in the ITC. At that point, you're a nobody. True. So I want to take a uh, sports ball reference. So just everybody roll with me for a second, especially our European listeners, because this is very much a uh, American system that we use here specifically for college sports. The uh, We just wrapped up March Madness. For those of you unfamiliar with that, it's a very large college basketball tournament. And the way that works is each regional circuit, uh, beginning of the month, crowns their champion. And depending on how strong your regional circuit is, that many players get into a 64-player tournament, and then they play all month long. So some of the weaker divisions only get one team. Some of the stronger ones get four or five. Well, how do you make your regional circuit a little stronger? There's been some shenanigans um, in some cases where they recruited colleges away from other ones or they combine similar to what these guys did in this one maybe so you have different what used to be based on geography is now all about on hey we use the elo system to uh, do what's best to figure out who the best players or the best teams are if you play with us we not only do you get the best competition but also let's let's break it down it's called it's professional sports or college sports money uh, the big mm -hmm. game teams are getting on TV more often. Therefore, they get television revenue, which makes your program much more successful because you're getting more money in there, um, which will, will, will brings up a second subject later on. In this particular case, uh, back to 40K, 
one of the things I'll talk about is, oh, if you're in this circuit, you are going to get extensive coverage from Goonhammer. Goonhammer has a ton of influence on the competitive community. That says a lot, I think. That that's a that's a big brand throwing their weight behind an event. And to your point earlier, Robert, you said you know, we're trying to get our Rattler Cup up and going. First of all, I'll take full blame for it. I've really s- slept on that since our, our last Super Major. I made some inroads, and everybody's in agreement. And I've been kind of waffling whether to start it now or wait till the start of 10th. And um, But now I'm like going, huh, is this something we need to look at? Do I reach out to another group like this? So, so for those of you that are either hearing about this for the first time or you've already read the article and you're laughing at us because we're reading this at snail space, they actually have all of their join events already on there. And it's a, currently it's 33 events. That's a lot. And then the winners get brought into an invitational tournament at the end of the year. Sounds very familiar. Hmm. So mm-hmm. maybe the winners from, so was this going to be the future of Warhammer where you, you hopefully qualify for your regional invitational by doing well during the season. And then the winners from the regional invitations go to a national ones with a few at large qualifiers. Is that the future? Cause that's how it is in most of the sports here in America. Yeah. And Looking over their tournament schedule, none of these ones outside of the Fabricators Forge are familiar names to me. Like Capital Clash might sound familiar, but that's up in Canada. That's in Ottawa, yeah. And um, the thing that gets me is on May 20th, there's the Maryland Open. Like, what the heck event is this? (laughs) Why are we traveling out to Maryland? But I, I can definitely understand one reason why this also exists is to bring attention to these events that like the Maryland open, they're planning on having 128 players. This is the first time I've heard of this event. What? So it's a, it's free. It's almost free exposure for new event. You join a big tournament circuit rather than just being another ATC event because they're a dime a dozen at this point. But obviously the ITC is the main breadwinner of competitive 40k the utc you'll probably see some players splinter off to focus purely on that you'll probably you'll definitely see a handful of players just focus on the gw events and who knows we might see another almost kind of a an umbrella example of the itc still recognizes all of these events for their scoring purposes and their scoring matrix their scoring matrix applied, but then the UTC does their own scoring matrix based off of the same score. Yeah, they do say they have a different metric, and they uh, they actually get, are fully transparent and show you what the metric is. I try to read it. Honestly, um, it's been a while since I've had to figure out math, so I just kind of went, ooh, exciting. I, I didn't break it down. So I'm assuming it's how the scoring yeah. works. So Okay, so yeah, event scoring, player performance, um, access challenges, comp. Th- this is a this is the kind of number that I would sit here and chew on for a while. And because they're transparent about it, people will be nitty gritty about, oh man, I need, I need two more points to move up three spots. How do I get those two points out of this Uh game? And that is probably healthy for the game in some ways, but it's also very, very bad because you will get people that will, um, if they've done research on the opposing players at the event and they see the one guy, and for some reason, they have a slight against them. They'll go, and no, I'm going to intentionally do these things to not give you points so you don't jump up three spots. And Yes and no. I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's that sort of gameplay. I think also, though, the having, I remember the previous ITC formula, uh, we all, it was public knowledge. And I remember going like, okay, let me figure that I was at LVO and I had a chance at best in faction. And after each round, okay, where, where do I stand? What do I need to do? And then I quickly realized by midway through the fourth round, I'm like, okay, it's out of reach now, but mm-hmm. at least I knew, okay, I, I still had a chance. I could still make it, you know, it, it's whereas with the current system, I'll take the word for it, but uh, I guess I'll play the whole weekend and roll it in, <laughs> wake up Monday morning and find out, oh, I, I didn't quite get as many points as I thought I did. So, yeah, it'll it'll be exciting to see how this develops and see what kind of, needless to say, drama is going to come out of this on top of 10th edition coming out. Yeah. 
Yeah, so one of the things we'll put on our Facebook page as a poll, I'm trying to figure out how to do polls on Instagram, so just bear with me. But that's another thing. Do, do we reset the season at the start of 10th edition? We all know that the ITC ain't going to do it. Correct. So that's <laughs> one of those things to look at. And, um, I mean, it's it's one thing to go from season to season between, between Nachman to Nephilim to Arcs of Omen. Now you're talking about complete edition change. And it's just like, whoa, that, that that's a big change. So we're curious to see if that mm-hmm. is something to look at as well. Now, when you think about it, the ITC is not doing it. Uh, Games Workshop's not doing it. If, you know, if you win uh, one of their events early this season, you still qualify for the WCW at the end of the year in Atlanta. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it says, well, you you won under ninth edition rules. Okay, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember who won the most recent, but it's one of the Art of War guys. I don't think they're going to be mysteriously handicapped by the new 10th edition. Which, going on to that cherry pick thing of spoilers, there was a good chunk of stuff that came out over the last week as we all kind of foresaw happening. And I I think we're going to save the trouble in the room for last at, and we just started reading how an actual data sheet is changed because it's, it is actually simplified a little bit and they did turn something on its head, which actually makes me really happy. Yeah. So the first part for those of you like, Oh my God, change. I hate change. The only thing I hate more than change is what's going on right now. So, uh, one of the key things that really did happen is a lot of what we're familiar with is still there. It's just now in a different spot. So I really don't think a lot of these changes are, it's definitely less dramatic of a change compared to like from seventh to eighth edition where they had to get you, where the ballistic skills no longer on a table anymore. You're not comparing weapon skill to weapon skill. You know, you just roll in, roll higher than this number. You know, it's much more uh, very different format. Mm-hmm. This is just they moved your cheese. Uh, the weapon skills and everything, strength, attacks, all that, is in the weapon profile. And there's a couple terms that are coming back. A couple terms that have been added. Overall, I don't feel like the game has overly changed that much. But let's go over it in detail. Yeah. So looking at the actual intercessor that they show off from the article back on the third um the intercessor still moves six inches he is still toughness four he still has a three up save he still has two wounds and as people kind of put it together if you were a unit that could be objective secure naturally your objective control number is naturally going to be a two instead of a one like they showed off with the terminators because the terminators they were sure one body's on this objective he's really hard with a two up armor and a four up invuln but an intercessor literally toes in and goes, nah, nah, boo-boo, this is mine. The the thing that they changed on their head, though, the intercessor squad now has a leadership of six. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I think that was an overdue change. Because for those of you that have only played in the newer edition of 40k, well, the current edition of 40k, it was always your leadership number was really, really high. Something like a seven or an eight, and then you have to do this specific math equation of d6 plus casualties if i roll over i lose a dude that that is how eighth edition ninth edition did it it was brutal in eighth edition for big units and i don't know about older editions of 40k like seventh edition and beyond but in old warhammer fantasy your leadership in fact most tests that you had to do you had to roll underneath your number equal to or underneath your number on two dice. That was the same case in 40k. And it was bizarre because it was the only time where you wanted to roll low was advantage. Everything else was rolled high and you, and you won. So now they took it and they went, oh, you have to roll above a six on 2d6, which if you're any good at math or you yell at dice as much as any of us do a seven on 2d6 is the average outcome because of the fact that you have so many faces that can equal or roll above a seven so for instance let's take a hypothetical custode uh custodian guard custodes currently in ninth edition are leadership 11 nothing in the game can make them fail leadership unless you bomb them with a whole bunch of like grizzly other stuff i would do a thing like that um, you and Daniel, all of us, um, the, now to represent something like leadership 11 custode, um, a custodian guard would have something like a leadership of three, which means you have to roll a three or 
I would assume it would be something like a three or higher on 2d6 to not fail your leadership. Yeah, I wonder if there's any additional modifiers still, you know, not only the Grizzly Trophy type stuff, but also units, uh, models lost in the unit. There's there's a couple things that could be up there, but yeah, I think you're on the right page. Yeah, it's that kind of idea where the the number is less terrifying to look at, because when I say... I, when I play my Casodes and I watch my opponent kill two bikes, they go, all right, morale test. I'm like, um, well, I lost two guys on leadership 11 and they just get fish faced and going, what? It's like, yeah, I can't fail leadership by you killing two bikes. I would have to reasonably kill. I'd have to have a six main unit and you'd have to kill six of them in order for even for me to even think about failing on a normal basis. So that's going to take some getting used to is that you're going to have two dice for your leadership tests now instead of rolling a single die because now it sounds like leadership tests are going to happen more often and for more things. Yeah, they didn't give us a whole lot of details. I'll just read it verbatim what they said. Uh, leadership is more impactful in the new edition. Your unit's morale is now gauged with a battle shock test. Many factors can force a unit to test for battle shock, including being below a half strength during the command phase. Uh, fail and they struggle to capture objectives use stratagems or fall back from combat so effectively what that kind of sounds like is there's a chance for <laughs> i'm going to trigger some people here there's a chance for sweeping advances to happen <laughs> if the rules end up going that way which i don't think would be so much of a problem if it instead of destroying the unit that it caught it just maintained it in combat and then on the next turn it gets to fight first with like a plus one to hit or something instead of you know killing the unit outright yeah. by simply catching it so let's move on to the terminators because they gave up a lot of information on that small article um well for me that went poof i don't know where my terminator sheet went <laughs> so eric you're gonna have to start reading yeah. that while i go so right off the bat they uh, they said okay so some of the classics are they still have a two-up save uh, toughness went up to t, uh, T5, and they have a four-up invul save, so our, our people are clamoring, well, what does that mean when I have storm shields, and does that mean they go to invul three? We don't know yet, but um, the idea is that they wanted them to be more resistant to low-strength weapons and armor-piercing cannons alike. Uh, they do also have the leadership of 6+, plus, uh, just like all the other intercessors. Oh, one thing we forgot to note, um, on the intercessor sheet... There is no mention of Primaris as a keyword. So conspiracy theorists start putting your heads together. Is Are there the days of Firstborn versus Primaris? Is that whole narrative gone, or are there no more Firstborn? Well, we'll have to see about that, because the Intercessor sheet, they've only talked about how the stats look yet. They haven't shown off an entire data sheet, unlike Terminator's. Because the Terminators, aside from the small stat changes, Terminators have never been a Primaris option. But as people kind of figured, if you're shoved into Terminator armor, you're shoved into Terminator armor, regardless of whether you're Firstborn or Primaris anyway. So at that point, if they do nix the difference between Firstborn and Primaris, then the all of the people that were playing Space Wolves that have their all all their old tactical marines, all their old long things and stuff. Rejoice, you don't have to buy a new army. If you went out and bought exclusively Primaris, cool, you don't have to buy a new army yep. either. So to start things off with uh, new weapon profiles, uh, one of the key things there was uh, the Rapid Fire. It's back. It's changed slightly. Um, still offers the bonuses when you're within half range, but instead of doubling your fire, so for example, in the old rules, Rapid Fire 2, Used to be, okay, within 12 inches, you would double it to four. In this case, if it says rapid fire two, you would add two to your regular attack roll. So in this particular case, so for example, um, if you had a weapon that had three shots normally, and then rapid fire two, if you're within 12 inches, two plus three, you'd actually be rolling five dice in close, close mm -hmm. range. Which um, they oh. had an ability way back when to differentiate rapid fire which doubled and another one you used two weapon it was when gray knight codex came out in fifth edition it was really difficult to read so this is kind of a nice elegant way to do it yeah because if we take the easy example that is on the terminator squad i mean they carry on storm bolters we've all known storm bolters are rapid fire two guns so they're base two shots and okay you're at 12 inches you go up to four shots a dude no big deal the place where it would get weird is if you were to read something like the orc 
DACA guns, where it was like DACA 35. Or, well, no, DACA 5-3, because you got the first number when you were closer, and you got the second number when you were far away. So, at that point, this is effectively what that is. It would be something like, here's a DACA gun, it has two attacks, but it's rapid fire 3. Okay, you're at 12 inches, you now make 5 attacks instead of... And yeah, the the Stormbolter is still hitting on a 3. It's only strength 4. It has no AP, and it's only 1 damage. No different than what a normal Stormbolter in Old Marine's hand... The other new thing we've seen today is the anti-ability. So what this is, is several weapons may have different anti-something. So in this example, the first of the power fist no longer has the minus one to hit. However, if you're using a chain fist, it has the anti-vehicle three-up ability. So what that means is when you roll to wound, we're still doing that, contrary to popular belief, uh, if you were attacking a model that has the vehicle keyword and rolled a three or higher on the wound roll you inflicted what's called a critical wound and what that means is it um guarantees success achieving a by a roll of unmodified similar to an unmodified six so for whatever reason let's say you're attacking something with even with strength eight and you would normally only wound on fours your three still inflict a wound against vehicles i have Mm -hmm. a feeling your knigets may be seeing toughness values we've never seen before because with with abilities like this where it's effectively you get plus one sometimes even plus two to wound if it's something really crazy like i expect admech guns to have like anti-vehicle two or Mm -hmm. something and but the the fact is is that the chain fist it used to be oh if you're attacking a vehicle you do extra damage that was the big change because now the change fist is no different than a power fist outside of the fact that it's also applicable more so to vehicles because it's still strength eight it's also ap2 but it only does two damage whereas before it would do three damage against vehicles also like it though is that it's vehicle specific as opposed to Mm -hmm. well it's a chain fist it's strength four thousand so I'm still going to splatter a vehicle. I'm going to splatter a guardsman. I'm going to splatter a monstrous creature. It doesn't matter. You know, it's just like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> so as long as I get enough attacks and enough twos, I'm going to blow, mm-hmm. you know, blow through my target. So something that this actually probably came out of is how the poison mechanic originally worked for Drukari, where it's, oh, you're shooting at something that's not a vehicle. I wound you on fours all the time. Yeah, and they do elude slightly to it i'm going to make an inference it says anti-abilities covering many different keywords like infantry monster and vehicle so i'm assuming poison will probably be anti-infantry four plus yeah and like anti-monster five plus maybe maybe that might be a way around it because that was very frustrating i kill guardsmen on a four up but i kill your card effects on a four up as well yeah or something like the like if you were to have a tech priest follow around your terminators, you can buff the anti roll to like an anti two uppers. Like there's a lot of stuff that we would like we can theorize about how it would work, but this is actually something that is fairly short and sweet to roll uh to read because it's anti what and a number. The only thing that you would need to keep track of is if something like let's say trans the a the stratagem version of transhuman physiology were to exist where it says i can't be hurt on any number but x and above how would that specifically work into the anti key because it's a weapon ability and we all know transhuman literally says the only thing that can stop me is a big stupid flag or the nightbringer <laughs> and the other thing one of the easy ones you could do is it negates anti abilities so um that mm-hmm. could be one way around it um there's a lot of ways. We'll have to I hate to speculate on that right now, but mm-hmm. um, anyway, yeah. So, the are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Is your beer keg boring? Does it not have enough tentacles coming out of it? Does it not taste as funny as you remember because you didn't put a tear in it? Well, the wonderful makers of the Necro Nom 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 to replace your average pizza decided to come out with a, another book of the Lovecraft Cock. So 
They're from reddukegames.com, and it will guide you through 78 different kinds of cocktails to summon a demon, summon a space bug. Who knows? Either way, it's going to be a very, very wonderful time, and we would highly recommend that you try to not ingest too many while at the gaming table, because we don't know exactly what's going to happen when you roll Perils of the Warp or you roll a natural one on your persuasion check if you decide to play indeed. So if you're looking for fanciful drinks, go ahead and grab the Lovecraft Cocktails by the Mad Men at RedDukeGames.com, the makers of the Necro Nom Nom. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for Terminators themselves, that next tournament. They still just swap out those boxes. Rule, like they said, where and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. To, um, They're sturdy. The boxes help protect so your models. And if you, when you order, and it they come fast. The order is right. And for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com. And when you place your order, be sure to mention the Extreme House podcast. We want to make it a noticeable thing now. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Uh, so I'm assuming the way they describe it is you can still teleport um, normally during your movement phase. During the end, of, you still have a reinforcement step at the end of the movement phase. That seems to be the same. However, this new and we get a nice look at what this how the stratagems are set up. This is a core stratagem, so this means it's available to every army, and it breaks it down. It's one CP. It says when at the end of your opponent's movement phase. I said opponent's movement phase. The target, one unit for your army that's in reserves. The effect, your unit can arrive on the battlefield as if it were the reinforcement step of your movement phase. And the restrictions, you cannot use the stratagem to enable a unit to arrive on the battlefield during a battle round that it would not normally be able to do so. So no drop potting terminators. But unless you put them in an actual drop I mean, pod. I'm just thinking like, because it's a core stratagem, we were talking about, okay, what about Aldari? You, know, you don't even need the webway gate nonsense anymore. Um, oh, I'm going to move here. Okay, I see where you moved. I'm now going to plop down a few Counter-Strike models in the way. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't plan on that. Uh, how about GSC? Can you imagine how they're going to work <laughs> with, with this stratagem floating around? I don't want to picture that because... It already takes them long enough to deploy their army if they go first. <laughs> I could easily see them maybe streaming that down and then going, oh, by the way, uh, rapid ingress um, costs you zero CP. <laughs> yeah, it would be something like that. Or taking an army like, um, again, let's go with custodians. I can currently give deep strike to a bike unit. Imagine if it was rapid ingress, a unit of bikes, and then they brought back swooping dive as something that specifically happens when a unit arrives from reserves on your opponent's turn, pay two more command points, perform a charge out of deep strike with plus one charge. I see that. Very specific, once per game, maybe put it in a specific detachment for custodes, that kind of thing. But that is something that can now exist where legitimately my opponent doesn't even have to charge. I literally just go, yeah, the unit that I want dead, it's now there. It scares me. I want it gone. <laughs> I just think also just move blocking. Oh, yeah. Like, obviously, you're still outside of nine. So if your opponent tried to set up a like a 10-inch a charge or something, you would have to f- squeeze into like a one-inch space. But yeah, you cause a, a buffer between the thing that they wanted to kill and now the thing that they have to deal right. with. I'm trying to think also... Uh, trying to remember, which it was an older secondary we haven't seen it in a while you have more models in this quadrant than your opponent Ooh. Mm-hmm. oh i didn't see that let me uh deep strike a few models there there you go i denied you scoring that quadrant yep the gene Citical actually has one that does that and it's that one's really hard to stop like really really hard to stop so that that might be another way around it but it's i look at that and I go whoa i can drop things down in my opponent's turn interesting okay yeah 
So uh, there's a lot of stuff that can that is coming from just the Terminators that gives us an idea of how 10th edition is going to kind of play, where there is actual some strategic prowess in understanding when to rapid ingress them and aggressively or defense and have them be set up with a purpose. So again, for a counter charge thing, you drop in your assault terminators to make a wall to defend yourself. Oh, can you imagine um, the t- uh, Terminator Knights from Dark Angels? I just blanked on their name. Yeah, the Deathwing yeah, Knights. That's, yeah. They're amazing, you know. With with especially in the old rules, when they, oh they're all within one inch of each other, they're all base to base. They get plus one toughness. Yeah, like oh man, I mm-hmm. thought I had an easy run on that objective. Now I got to get to these guys. Oh, crap. Mm-hmm. Or something like with Gene Stealers you rapid ingress a unit well not with gene stealers but tyranids with gene stealers as a unit you rapid ingress them out of an infestation node and now they charge eight like eight or nine inches at you on your turn yeah. <laughs> stuff i mean all really valid stuff so that's pretty neat um how about i'll take another gene stealer cult but you can, there's other models i can do this okay um okay i dropped these guys down Fine. All right, I'm just going to charge them and blow them up. Oh, by the way, they all have flamers. <laughs> Get through that Overwatch. <laughs> or for demons, you rapid ingress a unit of Zinch flamers. Yeah, there we go. So there's a lot of stuff that can come from that, and I'm excited for that kind of play because of the fact that that takes strategy to another place of being able to change on the fly from going, I need them to be aggressive, I need them to come into turn three, to being, I need them on turn two right here, right now, to fix this problem. It also helps with the, some of the limitations of I go, you go, where there is more reactive, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to be a big plus. I hope to see more stratagems like this. So, I will take a little back step to the Terminator data sheet of their abilities, because sure. the, the faction is listed as Oath of Moment. That's something that we will cover probably in the next two... <laughs> two, three minutes. Next, yeah. Um, but teleport homer is still the same. It's you arrive within three inches of horizontally of your token, so a little teleport homer, and nine inches horizontally of enemy models. That's an important thing. So you can land. Um, we can theoretically, if they don't make the verticality rules way complicated again, we can almost have zero inch charges again because it only specifies horizontally. It doesn't say anything about vertically on the teleport homer. I get the impression they're trying to eliminate the whole vertical distance measuring. So I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, no, that one, that's just me conjecturing. Um, but the Fury of the First, this is something that was a stratagem for giving them plus one to hit. Now it's just an ability that I constantly have. They ignore any or all of the to hit modifiers for ballistic or weapon skill. So literally Terminators... Can, are always hitting on a three or and the unit that you target with the oath of moment ability aka the thing that comes from the detachment coming up soon you get plus one to hit against it so literally terminators can never be made minus one to hit they can never be well they can be plus one to hit but they can't be you can choose to ignore whatever you want basically and that is going to cause a big for me with um yeah we might as well get the detachment stuff Let's out of the do way it. Now. so speaking of oaths of moment this is attached to specifically the ladies task force i think it was I believe so yeah it was the one that they showed off originally the um the oath of moment which used to be a secondary if your army faction is adept as a stardies no no sub faction splits here at the start of your command phase select one unit from your opponent's army until the start of your next command phase, each time a model from your army with this ability makes an attack that targets the enemy unit, you can re-roll the hit and re-roll the... So terminate. It is... Go ahead. It is 8th It's eighth edition Gilliman all yeah. over. So with the Terminators now getting a plus one, so now they, <laughs> they're hitting on twos, re-rolling hits and wounds. Given they have a variety of guns if you kit them out that way. And who knows, maybe people that you take don't have the oaths of moment ability naturally so maybe it won't be the entire army gets that ability or whatever and gets to re-roll against everything and delete my knight every turn well the key thing that i'm reading this and it's it's my to hat is 
ecstatic about this way they're doing this now. And we'll get into that a little later. But so this is your detachment. So if you take the Gladius attachment, you get this. And but you have to can only choose one unit in your command phase. So yes, am I going to eliminate a knight? Probably. But I'm only going to eliminate one. <laughs> so I got to make sure I pick the right one and uh, hopefully um, I get enough weapons to bear or uh, if there's more reactionary things, maybe things get in the way and hamper that. And like, oh, well, that wasn't the best choice then. I should attack that other one. So we're going to have mm -hmm. to see some more of the layers of this. But it, I like this a heck of a lot better than... Um, Everybody within three inches of Gilliman <laughs> gets reroll hits in wounds, <laughs> and which mm -hmm. may still be in the game. I, I'm gonna find, I might be eating my words a few a few weeks from now. But uh, I remember when yeah, Eighth Edition Gilliman came out, and this one of the guys showed up for our tournament. He literally had a shoebox of miniatures, and the thing was the most dead. It was just this deadly fuselage of fire. <laughs> so. The thing that they do touch on is that since Oath of Moment is for Space Marine, the orcs, they get Wa. Tyranids get their Synapse, and Astro Militarum get their Order. So it sounds like all of the trademark abilities are probably getting rolled into detachments of some kind, or they're just made abilities on data sheets to have everything match. Because the Tyranids detachment, which is the Invasion, is something that feels a little gamey, but at the same time isn't as bad as having the entire table of like nine different things that you take along with everything. Right. So at the start of the first battle round, so after you show up to the table, you set up and you see where your opponent's army is and stuff, you select one hyper-adaption to be active for Tyranid units in your army until the end of the battle. It's either your infantry and swarm get sustained hits one ability, which they do clarify a little bit in below that of how that works hyper aggression if your tyranids attack a, a monster or vehicle they get the lethal hits ability hive predators if you target a character your tyranids get the precision ability on a critical hit so probably an unmodified six to hit kind of thing so they did go over a few of these Sustain hits is exploding sixes, so basically a six to hit. So in this case, um, swarming insects instinct, excuse me, sustain uh, sustain hit one. So every six counts as one additional hit. So so I could see something like Tesla being sustained hit two, where each hit counts as three. Mm -hmm. Yep, a less wordy way of stating you get this many hits right. on a six. Whereas lethal hits is it automatically right. wounds. Six to hit automatically wound, which we've seen. Born Soldier, uh, we've, we've seen a mm -hmm. lot of that. But it's now, it's very simple in that it's, this is the term, uh, you know, you don't have to go through, explain to me what your army does again. I've got lethal hits and uh, this. Oh, okay. I know what that is. Yep. Again, the universal rules. Precision is the one that they didn't cover in the initial article. But I'm pretty sure it's something to do with like no invulnerable saves or something else where they like they don't ignore damage or something. Yeah, but... uh, my first guess was it ignores lookout, sir. Until I read the last line of this article, which we'll get to later, and I went, uh "Oh, is that still a thing or not?" So expect to see more talk about the Tyranids here in May, as they do specify in the article that they'll be talking about them mainly next month. The other things for the Marines that they have here, um, we have the Armor of Contempt. No, it's not army-wide. <laughs> pull me back on the ledge there. <laughs> but it does do the same exact thing. So when your opponent's shooting or fight phase, just after an enemy unit has selected targets. So it is a, I activate this unit, I target this unit, Boom, you select the Adeptus Astartes unit that's being attacked for one command point. You reduce the AP by one. You're not having to worry about the entire army. And I do like get the layout of these two stratagem cards. They look really nice. I'm pretty sure the symbols will come into play at some point, but otherwise... So I'm guessing the target symbol is the shooting phase and the twin hammers. Looks kind of like the Soviet symbol. The sickle and hammer is a fight phase. That's what I'm guessing. Probably. And the... The next thing is the Gladius Task Force gets an enhancement, which is the Warlord Traits and the Relics bit of it, where you get the Artificer Armor. So you can have a character, or maybe a Sergeant, depending on if they still let Sergeants take Relic, to have a, a 2-plus save and a 5-up Feel No Pain. So just a little bit more durable, and 
I think Eric should read what is going to be spooked about yeah, so this. So it starts off with uh, these include refined personal gear. So one thing that's nice, I forgot to mention, uh, is that your your enhancements are by detachment. So they will. So you don't have a menu of stuff. I'm going to take. Uh, the Gorgon chain and mix it with this detachment and mix it with this uh, relic from another thing and all of a sudden and this warlord trait and it all piles on if you're taking this Gladius Assault for Artifice Armor is there if you change to another detachment which supposedly will come out with the Codices, Artificer Armor may not be an option and there's no core choices anymore so whatever's on your detachment sheet is all you get so from a TO standpoint mm-hmm. I love it from a player standpoint, I'm a little worried that might be a little pigeonholing. So, which to touch on that, it's by detachment bit. That means if you don't take the Gladius Task Force, you don't get Oath of Moment. Um, I'm not sure that's your correct. I mean, it's one of those things that I kind of conjectured that because of the fact that it said the Gladius Task Force. I think the Oath of Moment ability, but I, mean, of Mo- I probably have that wrong. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it looks like Oath of Moment is the army rule. Ah, yeah, and I was mixing up like things. All, because... So yeah, like all orcs will get wah, but let's say the speed freaks detachment may get something different, you know. So as opposed to a, a crumping detachment, I don't know. I'm making stuff up. Like the the golf detachment, no, no mucking about, yeah, something like that kind of thing. All right, so here here comes yes. the important part. So this part, I read it twice and didn't catch on to it a third time. But what what what? And it goes. Um, these include refined personal war gear like the Artificer Armor, or tactical talents that allow your commander to enhance the units they are leading. And then it literally says, hold the phone. Did you say leading units? Um, find out next week from Warhammer Community. Does that mean are we no longer doing characters floating around being protected by a lookout, sir? Are we going back to the old rules where we assign character models to units? I mean, if we did that, there are some parts of me that would be like, yes, I don't have to worry about making my bike captain, my custodes fly 14 inches in an opposite direction because he's going with the unit. anyway. I agree with you. And I'm also going to see something. It's going to, it's going to hit a couple players the wrong way. If I quizzed 10 competitive players, what is the lookout sir role? They will probably get it right. You know, I have to be within three inches of a unit of more than five models or three models, I think it is, or a vehicle model, blah, blah, blah. Otherwise, you can't be targeted. And then when you play the game, I can't tell you how many times the player, hey, how come he can shoot me? And then they don't understand the concept that all these different directions. It's one thing if you're playing like Warhammer Fantasy, where it was really hard to get behind your enemy lines. 40k is a lot more fluid. There's a lot more movement. There's a lot more flying. There's a lot of times where character models got caught in crossfires. And yeah, you you were thought you were in close enough range from this, but now he's the closer model, so your character is out in the open. And it was always a feel-bad mm-hmm. moment. I have a feeling this is a way to help <laughs> eliminate those feel-bad moments that they're part of the unit now. The only thing that I don't want to see happen... And I'm pretty sure a lot of people don't want to see happen is something like, um, you know, it has three words. Well, it has two words in it and it uses three of them of bark, bark star. Yeah. The old death star problems. And so those of you who are newer players are not familiar with that. Um, Oh, okay. So bark, bark star, for example, I'm trying to remember what's the name of the unit, the um, space wolf. It's the actual wolves, not the cyber wolves. It's not dire. The Phrasian wolves. So actually, at my last game of 7th edition at LVO, this is exactly what happened. So my opponent took three detachments of Space Marines, a Grey Knight, a Dark Angels, and a Space Wolf. So he had a few random intercessors, a few troop choices to drop down and steal objectives. And then he took 30 Fenrisian Wolves in one unit. Then he attached Azrael to it. Because Azrael has Fearless. And if he's attached to a unit, he makes his unit Fearless. He Then he added, I don't remember what character it was at the time, but basically it gave the wolves reroll hits. And he added a third, uh, he added the Grey Knight um, character to it. So then he could cast Invisibility, so I can only hit him back on sixes if he gets the ability off. 
So you have those three characters surrounded by 30 wounds that move at a ridiculous amount of speed. So what they would do is they would reach out. So this, this unit was about 12 to 14 inches long. And the characters were in the back. So you'd have to kill all the wolves before you could even inflict hits onto the characters. And they would sit there and just bog you down. Because this was before the days where you could fall back. You would just sit there and get chewed on all game. And the idea was that the rest of his army would then mosey around and pick up units. Mm -hmm. The funny part about the story was he charged my Wraith Knight. <laughs> and he thought, haha, I got you. And I kind of looked at him like, oh. Well, and if, I remember in the back of my mind, I have the because I had the Forge World Wraith Knight, the, the Sasquatch one, and I thought, do I want to teleport out of close combat? And I went, wait a minute, let's do this instead. I will attack you with my sword. And he looks at me like, what? Why aren't you going to do your stomp attacks? Nah, I'm going to attack you with my sword. And for those of you who don't remember, the the stomp attacks was like 15 attacks, whereas the sword's like three. So I was killing like two wolves a turn. The wolves couldn't hurt me, <laughs> at least certainly. So now his unit is locked in combat. They never left combat. So then I'm like, okay, the rest of my army is going to go up against your two in units of intercessors and uh, a few random space marine patrols. <laughs> Bang! Won the rest of the game. The guy was so angry. He walked away from the table, didn't even say good game, nothing. He just walked, when the game was over, he walked away from the table. And I was like, oh, all right, I'll let him cool down and we'll, we'll clean up later. I cleaned up my army. Two of my teammates came over. We talked a little bit. I didn't really, it was an hour later. He never came back. <laughs> he literally just left the army on the table. <laughs> that's, so that that's some level of rage that. Man, the like, okay, you play the Bark Bark Star. Your opponent literally does what you see as the inoptimal thing of only killing like two or three wolves a turn. Uh, <laughs> and you still need to pilot it. I mean, I'm sure if you choose other targets, it is nasty. Don't get me wrong. There were other Death Stars that were just as bad. Um, Paul Murphy was notorious for it. He had like a superstar, a uh, super friends uh, list where it was like three Space Marine captain. Uh, of various types all gained all these super abilities yeah the lone sword these ridiculous things where the character bestowed upon the unit abilities that didn't make sense and by adding more characters you had overlapping abilities it was terrible for the game chaos had some awesome ones um it was not fun it was stupid but it was just got to the point where i've got one okay you got one all right let's 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 match up and see what happens. Yep. Let's see who bunks yeah. who first. There was a demon one where there literally was a two-up invulnerable save that was re-rollable if you cast the right spell. Yep, and let's just put it this way, that leading, having characters join units, one, makes the game move faster because you're not having to worry about the minutiae millimeters of your character keeping up with the unit for a re-roll bubble. Your character is part of the... I'm pretty sure at that point they're going to balance out some kind of movement characteristic, like you the slowest speed in your unit, which if your character only moves four inches, well, your entire unit only moves right. four And other stuff like that, where the, the character can detach himself from the unit during the command phase to then be an independent character. Or they might not let him do that. The character might be stuck with the unit of five space and be like, yeah, I know I'm better than these schmoes, but I had to be attached to them. We'll see. There was a lot of crazy rules for that. There's also, you know, can they detach from the unit? Okay, the unit, but he's going to stay in the transport, and the unit is going to disembark. Oh, there was stuff, all kinds of crazy rules. I, I just hope they learn their lesson from those rules. So. so, if you want to be one of the first to try out the 10th edition rules and aka send us copies of the rules pages please that would be great we have cameras <laughs> we can hook you up with <laughs> but you can make it out to the kansas city open so that one is the team event for the games workshop open series and also if you're across the pond you can go to warhammer fest to also try it but basically it's june 2nd to the 4th is when you guys can show up to the kansas city open or warhammer fest whenever that is and try out the 10th edition rules before anyone else so it's a great opportunity and but it also tells you something that 
these rules will not be available before Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. So we're not getting them next month. We're not getting them at the start of June. We will most likely, if we do get them, will be at the start of July. Yeah. We had originally heard rumors of June 23rd being the drop date. That sounds all of a sudden like maybe too soon. So be curious how how, how much they're going to keep mm-hmm. drip, drip, dripping these rules to us. And um, man, anticipation, keep it coming, you know, in terms of what's going on. Yeah. So the the one thing that does make me happy is they will have a Q&A session about the 10th edition rules at the event of Kansas Open, which, God dang it. If I wasn't planning on going to Lone Star Open, I would actually go, all right, cool. I'm going to buy a, a Kansas City Open ticket, maybe get on a team from someone I don't know. I believe they've <laughs> added a singles event to the Kansas City tournament as well. I'm going to double check that. Yeah, I wouldn't click it on myself. But the just in general, the, the fact that I would get to go and try and would probably be the most exciting thing of that event, whether I went... And whether I went to win or went to lose, like it didn't matter. I got to play 10th edition before anyone else did. I'd be interested to see what they do. Because um, I remember 8th edition, they sent out a preview copy to the, to local game stores. So I'd be mm. curious to see if they do something similar to uh, that again. Yes, and you are right, Eric. They did, in fact, add a singles event for the Kansas okay, City cool. And while you're there, say hi to our good friends at the uh, Preferred Enemies podcast, by the way. That's their kind of home territory there. Well, June, sadly, is a little too soon for my my traveling. I have to wait until later in July. Yeah, I'm not sure what my schedule will bring at that point. So I'm, I'm kind of already looking at that going, hmm, I was not originally on my state of, not on my plan, but maybe, I don't know, it's very tempting. So, yeah, now all I hope for is that we <laughs> don't have another like, hey, someone ran off with all the bottles Whoa. incident yeah, again. Not be good. Not be good at all. But... Yeah. So I think we've rambled on about the the 10th edition stuff as much as we can until we see more later this week. Yeah, I'm hoping for more. Cause... Absolutely. Because uh, but like I said, I am very excited for what I am seeing. Um, there are a few things here and there that I'm a little worried about, but the biggest thing I'm thinking of is the days of, I bought my codex and then a army renowned came out in some random campaign book and I got to carry that with me. And then another update came out in white dwarf and those all stack on each other. So I'm going to use all that's going to be gone. You know, you just, the, if you want that campaign book, yes, but that's all you'll need is that campaign book will have everything because the data cards will have the unit information the detachment will be unique to the campaign book yeah i'm pretty sure they're going to try and keep the campaign book to just that the campaign books of here's your narrative here's your narrative ways to play and yep just have fun y'all don't be bullied but you know people are going to be bullies anyway yeah i mean at the end of the day there's going to be this attachment is the top choice this is a situational choice this is a suboptimal choice you know it's going to happen so from a competitive standpoint you're going to take a look at that the key thing what i'm also looking to is uh, for the last point here is there's always the question about appearance of armies and whatnot so nothing in that detachment said it had to be ultramarines so if you can i mean you think all the moment and you can win with white scars using their higher mobility using more bikes go for it i mean it doesn't stop you which i think can now open the market to a lot more competitive painting a lot more hobbying as opposed to oh my god i gotta get these painted by next week's army because the meta might pass them by which i mean for me that makes me a happy little iron fist potato (laughs) no not iron fist imperial fist potato (laughs) because of the fact that i get to roll all my bolter shots so i mean i'm probably whiff anyway but but the point is you could have an imperial fist army and it's like okay that's pretty cool now i just hope it doesn't over bland things that like okay um, imperial fists don't do anything different than 
Iron Hands do. I'm like, oh, that's, that was kind of disappointing. But I think there's more to come, so we'll see what happens. Yep, we definitely yeah. will see. As I mentioned, it is a holiday weekend here in, uh, not only here in the States, but also throughout Europe, so there were very few uh, large-scale tournaments, so we don't have a lot of to report on today, but I was remiss last week. Uh, Mid-table obscurity. For those of you new to the show, this is where we look at the meta and find out which factions are being played most by those players that go either two and three or three and two in their local meta. So if you're used to being in the middle of the pack, which about two out of three competitive players are, these are the armies you need to look out for. And um, so no surprise, uh, popular armies still remain popular even at the mid tables. But uh, what we're seeing is custodes still remain the kings of the mid table. They make up 8% of all mid-table players, which is higher than their overall percentage. Uh, Other ones that are overachieving in the mid-tables in terms of numbers, uh, Chaos Demons, Chaos Knights, and we'll get to that in a second, Tau, Leagues of Votan, Iron Hands, and Imperial Knights. Uh, Chaos Knights, as well as Imperial Knights, were very interesting in that huge percentages of being at 3 and 2 or 2 and 3, but then a huge drop-off. Something like only one out of every ten night player can advance to that fourth win. It's like they they do great as a gatekeeper in the mid tables, but they're rarely winning events, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, as a chaos night player right now, I can attest to that. Where I'm, I can start the event really strong. I can win first round, maybe lose second round, win third round, win fourth round. So I'm now three and one. But then after that, I just bump bump, just get punched in the face for the last two rounds so that's how they feel a lot of times unless i keep up the pace of uh, endurance Uh, armies that you hear a lot about especially from players who talk about the the top part of the meta that you won't see as often in the mid table uh asuriani uh normally six percent of the meta they're just below four percent one of the biggest drop-offs the other one is necrons as well uh not seeing them as much in the mid tables and then last but not least, Death Guard, which is interesting because I figured a lot of people had the models from the past. Not the case. A lot of, I guess, they're back on the shelf and not seeing them in the, the, the mid-ranked tables. Uh, I think that's more of the fact that, okay, they lost all of their durability from Armor of Contempt going away. whoop dee diddly um, Everyone lost that. So now they can't slowly drudge up the table to be the nuisance that they love being as reliable. Yeah, so... Interesting enough, so we'll keep it up to date. And that is uh, that data is based off of Arcs of Omen uh, since from the beginning, and we all get that from the StatCheck website. So I want to thank them for their hard work and making that possible, doing it the old way. We used to do it uh, by hand from BCP. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> that was quite the uh, chore. I see current top 10 standings uh, for, for what they're worth now. Uh, right now, they are still the number one way to rank the top players in the world. <laughs> uh, we'll see if that remains that way in the future. But right now, in 10th place, Jeremy Knox comes in at 977 points with six events played. Ninth place is Kyle Perry. Eighth place, Hamza Siad. Hamza, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Seventh place, Thomas Bird. Sixth place, Nicholas Rose. Fifth place, Nick Herting. I wonder if he puts the hurting on people. Ba-dum, ching. Stefan Corrales comes in fourth. Stephen Crawley in third. Jason McKenzie hanging on to the second spot. And your top player currently in the world with only five events. Uh, with 1,147 points. Manny Chima uh, picking up right where he left off uh, there. So in first place currently in the ITC. Yep. And I'm pretty sure rolling around with like something between 20 to 30 Desolator mer- and just kind of throwing stuff over buildings and picking up armies. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully this week um, we'll be seeing a balanced data slate. And hopefully, because there's still quite a few months left to this season, and that's something that they will address. So we do know uh, the, the last Meta Watch video, they mentioned they're going to take a look at Dark Angels as well as Gene Sealer Call. But yeah, but those Desolator units... Um, say what you will about the, the looks of the models. The, the weapon profile is disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and another example of overlapping buffs as well. So it's just like, oh, okay, great. Thanks. But yes, otherwise, with the, with the road of 9th edition slowly but surely becoming that of 10th edition, who knows? We'll probably see 
Marines up in the top spot for a while at 10th edition. And maybe we'll see the Wild Wild West of 40k again. I'm excited for it. Um, there's quite a few other rules I'm just chomping at the bit to just find out. And um, the slow drip, drip, drip is, is agonizing, but it keeps me... Um... Keeps me back to that page, the Warhammer community page every day. So we'll see what happens. Eric, they have you brainwashed. They do. They, do. they really do. And it, I, like I said, I think most of these changes have been very positive. I don't see myself like, oh my God, I have to relearn the game because a lot of what they're doing is just uh, making the user interface easier to use. There's nothing that really leapt out at me ago and like, okay, I have no idea how this rule is going to work. It just seems like this is a new term for something we've been using all along. I think the biggest thing, yeah, is the leadership rules and this new twist with um, in characters. Curious to see what that is. Mm-hmm. That's going to be about. We haven't seen a vehicle profile yet, so I'm curious to see how that works. And of course, the biggest one is uh, for me is terrain. You know, the the, the early rumors were just like what, and. Um, because that's one of the things that has changed that changes the most from addition to addition on the terrain rolls. Yep, that's going to be a big thing for me too. Event with um eventually getting the YouTube channel up and going for us. Uh if I don't get relevant terrain, maybe the terrain rules will make it relevant. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, I really there was only a, you know small tweaks they could have done to the previous rules. There were, I, it's they've. I don't know. They, they they sometimes just can't help themselves, and um, I'm just curious to see what's going to transpire. And uh, I feel bad for you know tos. You know they have you know mounds of terrain, and they're just sort of like, what? Uh, this is still going to be relevant, and what changes do I need to make? And um, the sooner the better would be great because I'd love to be able to roll out a welcome to tenth edition uh, event as quickly as possible after this rollout. Mm -hmm. But we will see how it all turns out, and we will hopefully enjoy the adventure with all of you, given that we actually get to roll dice against you. And uh, hope to see you guys out there as well, but hang with us every week. Uh, More updates as we come along. Uh, Plenty more tournaments still left in this season as we get more Arcs of Omen updates. So we'll keep you guys abreast of those uh, events as well. So in the meantime, my name's Eric, and thank you for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast. (laughs) 